The Brewers take the series against the Atlanta Braves in epic fashion as the Washington Nationals come to town. Jair Alexander has 84 million reasons to stay a Green Bay Packer. We've got NBA playoff news as well as the PGA Championship all coming up on this episode of the 414 Sports Podcast. Let's go. But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. Welcome in once again, everyone. This is the 414 Sports Podcast. I'm Don Wachillis. Thank you so much for logging in and joining us for this episode. Whether you've done so on Google, Apple, Spotify, or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on, glad to have you with us. As I said in the opening, we'll make our way through today's podcast talking about the series victory over Atlanta. Uh, by the Milwaukee Brewers as they prepare for the Washington Nationals now to come into American Family Field for a three-game set. Jair Alexander with a contract extension with the Green Bay Packers. We'll get into that. We've got the NBA playoffs, obviously, up and running right now. The PGA Championship is in full swing. But before we get to any of that, this weekend we're going to put out a, uh, shall we call it a special edition of the 414 Sports Podcast because we've got ourselves a full-fledged soap opera brewing in college athletics. And and I think it will take an entire episode really to begin unpacking what's happening, the effects NIL is having on the college landscape, the effects, uh, the absence of the NCAA and providing any sort of regulation and parameters in and around NIL and what it is doing. And so now what we see is in a press conference, Nick Saban having some uh, critical thoughts with regards to his former protege, Jimbo Fisher, excuse me, at Texas A&M and how they came about their recruiting class. Jimbo Fisher fires back. Deion Sanders gets into the mix. So the SEC has a full-fledged soap opera on their hands, and I think it'll take, as I said, an entire episode to kind of unpack all of that and the meaning behind some of the things that are being said and, and really what Nick Saban has to be careful of. I think Nick Saban has been king of the football landscape for quite a while, and rightfully so as teams win. But uh, there's going to be some skeletons in Mr. Saban's closet, and I think he needs to be careful how he vents because I think he's opening the door for a lot of people to start snooping, and maybe what they uncover won't be so pleasant. So we'll get into all of that this weekend. So we start today, we're talking about the Milwaukee Brewers, and we talk about the fact that Keston Hira, makes his return to the major league lineup after spending some time down in Nashville in AAA. And he's the one who gets credited for capping off what is the Brewers' biggest comeback of the season to this date 
in beating the Atlanta Braves with a walk-off home run as they beat the Braves 7-6 to on Wednesday. Before we get any further, why not listen to how it sounded via Bally Sports Wisconsin. Here's the call as Keston Hero walks it off against the Braves. One ball, two strikes on Hero. And a swing and a drive in the center field. Keston Hero has walked him off. How about that? Two-run blast. And the Brewers win. So that was the call. Bally's Wisconsin, courtesy of Brian Anderson, as Keston Hero walks things off to help the Brewers, as we noted, win 7-6. to six. Now, Keston Hero called up from Nashville, had been battling the flu, um, says as he gets quoted in the paper, I can't wait for some sleep, that's for sure. Absolutely, you got travel, you've got some illness, all playing a factor, but Keston Hero goes from being again in the minors to being the hero on Wednesday afternoon. Keston Hero was batting 216 with two homers when he was sent down to Nashville. Down in Nashville, he had regained his offensive prowess. He was hitting 421, had a 522 on base percentage, three home runs, 10 RBIs in 19 at bats. So he was obviously seeing the ball much, much better in going down to. Nashville, and now it will be the Washington Nationals to come to town for, as I noted, a three-game set. Right now, the Brewers sit on top of the NL Central with a 24-14 and record as they sit four games ahead of the St. Louis Cardinals, seven and a half against Pittsburgh, eight and a half against Chicago, and 12 and a half against the Cincinnati Reds. And as we talked in the last episode, now is the time. Now is the time to start burying some of these teams as far as the standings go so that when we get into September, we sit with a comfortable lead. Now we'll have to wait and see because we know last year Craig Council rested some guys down the stretch after the NL Central was secured, and it felt as if they kind of lost their mojo heading into what was playoff baseball in 2021. So now, will his philosophy change? We'll have to wait and see. But again, the role that the Brewers are on is time to put some of those other teams in the NL Central in the rearview mirror. The Washington Nationals, as we said, coming into town. First pitch will be this evening, 7-10. Uh, if you're an old school favorite like myself, you should get out to the ballpark tomorrow. A little post-game concert with uh, Vanilla Ice and one of the guys from no Tretch from Naughty by Nature. So it'll be a little postgame fun after the Brewers tomorrow. But anyway, with the Nationals coming in 13 and 26 on the year, the Nationals have lost five straight series. And for the Washington Nationals, it has really been about pitching. They are 28th in MLB as far as their ERA goes. Their ERA goes now at 4.93, so just under 5 for the Washington Nationals. And so if if the Brewers again are looking offensively to get some things going. Now, what we saw against Atlanta was a whole lot of perseverance. The fact that in the midst of a pitching battle 
where they were down 4 nothing, got it to 4-2, made it a ball game, then went back and forth in extra innings and then found a way to win. That showed a whole lot of character for this Milwaukee Brewers team coming off of being shut out in game two, but then shutting out the Braves in game one. There was just some really great pitching going on in that three-game set against the Atlanta Braves. And so if the bats are to get healthy, as I like to say, going up against the Washington Nationals might be exactly what the Brewers need because, as we just noted, their pitching has not been great this season before the Brewers then head on the road after this three-game homestand, which caps off a six-game homestand stretch here for our Brewers. With that, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side of the break, as I noted in the intro, Jair Alexander has 84 million reasons to be happy he's still a Green Bay Packer. We'll talk about that coming up. All right, so some Packer news coming out of Green Bay in the last couple of days. Adam Schefter, the first to report through ESPN that Jair Alexander was working on finalizing a deal which would keep him a Green Bay Packer for the next four years. Jair Alexander was previously set to make $13.3 million this season, what would have been the final year of his rookie contract. Remember, drafted 18th overall in 2018. So as we just noted, his rookie contract was winding down. And now Jair Alexander set to make $84 million, which also includes, again, according to Adam Schefter, a signing bonus, a record signing bonus for defensive backs. It breaks down this way. It includes $31 million this season because of the fact that $30 million of that $31 will be a signing bonus. That means Jair, by March, will have received $42.5 million of that contract. Why all of the money as, as it is framed in the signing bonus, so to speak, that puts his base salary at this season to be about a little over $1 million. I think it comes to like $1.076 million as far as the salary cap goes. That then leaves the Packers a little bit of wiggle room to go out and still find themselves a veteran receiver. All eyes indicate that the Packers are going to need one more veteran receiver to round out the receiving core moving forward with this season. People would love to have that receiver signed sooner than later, but we also know that as you move towards training camp, as you move into the, the latter part of spring, as you get into summer and you get into where some of these contracts were signed previously and where some of the signing and roster bonuses and those types of, of additives within the contract come to fruition, then that means that there are going to be teams in and around the NFL for salary cap reasons that are going to release 
players. And what you hope for then is one of those players gets released at the receiving side of things and that they find themselves in a Green Bay Packer uniform. So again, Jair Alexander worth $84 million on his contract extension, $30 million of it as a signing bonus. So congratulations to Jair. Let's hope that he stays healthy this year because he is one of, if not the best cornerbacks in all of football. Before we close out on the Green Bay Packer news, when I when I first saw that pop up, one of my initial reactions has been since the announcement that Devontae Adams was headed to Las Vegas to become a Raider, especially when the news came out that the Packers were willing to offer Devontae Adams, in essence, the same contract that he got with the Las Vegas Raiders. I want to know what the story is. You know, I was talking about the soap opera between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. There's a soap opera I'm smelling between Devontae Adams and whether it's the front office with Green Bay, whether it's with Aaron Rodgers, whatever it might be, something isn't all that it seems to be at this point. And at least as far as the Packers go, at least as far as Devontae Adams go, goes, excuse me, and and as well as the Las Vegas Raiders. Like, everybody's taking the high road on this. But something tells me there's something under the table going on. The fact that the Packers are willing to make contract offers to Jair Alexander, to Aaron Rodgers, made a significant contract offer to Devontae Adams. Why Devontae Adams wanted out of Green Bay, and who knows, it might be four, five, six years down the road before that story ever comes our way on the other side of this break let's get into some NBA playoff news though the Bucks aren't a part of it it's still been a very entertaining series even though it's early on in these conference finals and we'll cover it in just a sec Let's get into the NBA playoffs. Last night, the Boston Celtics bouncing back in a major way with a 127-102 victory against the Miami Heat in Miami to tie the series up at one. And what a difference the Boston Celtics are when you get Al Horford and Marcus Smart on the floor with the rest of that club, obviously those two missing in game one, and it showed by the second half in game one. Boston looking a little bit tired uh, going into quarters three and four in game one, and Miami just absolutely flipped a switch after halftime and was dominant in that game one second half performance to get the victory. But in game two, It was all about Boston. It was all about Boston showing its dominance, and it was all about Boston basically looking at Miami and say, okay, you threw the first punch. Here we go. Now now we're getting into rounds two, three, four, and five. Let's let's really get this thing going. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown just doing what they do. But again, you mix 
Marcus Smart and what he was able to do in game two against Jimmy Butler. And it was like watching an entirely different game as opposed to the first game of this Eastern Conference Finals. I, I, we'll have to wait and see what happens once they get to Boston because you never know the way these series have gone. Do you get a split? If Boston takes two at home from Miami, you got to believe maybe this thing is over and that Boston will find itself in the finals, but we'll have to wait and see how games three and four play out because Jimmy Butler has a way with Miami and Miami's so very well coached. Uh, they have they find ways to win games. They're the reason there is a reason why they're the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, but a very impressive bounce back performance for the Boston Celtics in game two of that. So game three again heads back to the Boston Gardens. On the western side of things, Golden State. The Warriors just showed that this dynasty is not done yet. Golden State to me is the equivalent right now in basketball that the New England Patriots were in football. You know, New England had won obviously a ton of Super Bowls under Tom Brady, but there were years that they did not win the Super Bowl, but within that 10, 15 year window, all you think about is the New England Patriots because if they didn't win the Super Bowl, they were in the Super Bowl, or they made just an incredibly deep run in the NFL playoffs under Brady and Bill Belichick. And you get that feeling here with the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Warriors, after winning a couple, obviously Kevin Durant being a part of that unit the last time they won, have gone through injuries, and now everybody is back and with everybody being back, the depth on Golden State, I think maybe too much for the Dallas Mavericks to handle when you start talking about Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. And you I mean, you just keep going right down the line. I'm not gonna sit here and read everybody's name, but you've got players who A are stars. But then you've got role players like now Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins, who was projected to be a star when he came into the league, goes to Golden State, and he's a role player but an enormously important role player along with Milwaukee's own Kevin Looney. I mean, these guys go so deep into the bench and that when you're guarding somebody like Luka Doncic, who has been phenomenal for Dallas, the fact that they can keep rolling people at him and keep switching defensively, which other teams haven't been able to do, or shall we say willing to do because they don't have the depth that Golden State has. It's going to be really, really interesting to see how this one plays out. Now, Golden State was shooting incredible in game one. Steph Curry has his 18th career playoff double-double. That gives you an idea of how well things were going for Golden State in the fact that, again, they win 112-87. Game two will be played tonight. Game two, I think, sets the stage a little bit of how things will move forward. But with all of that said, let's remember one thing, that when Dallas was playing Phoenix, it was the home teams that were winning until we got to game seven. And then Dallas absolutely annihilates Phoenix 
on their home court to win Game 7 to get where they are right now. So you could still see a Dallas team lose this evening and then get ready to go home and not be phased whatsoever because they overcame that type of situation in the previous round. The difference, however, is is that Golden State is deeper than Phoenix. And even though Phoenix had the best regular season record, this Golden State Warrior team just possesses too much depth, too much talent, that that same scenario, you wonder if it would play out the way it did with Dallas and Phoenix. So we'll have to wait and see. And it's the beauty of sport. It's the beauty of a seven-game series. You never know how these things are going to unpack and unfold. So again, game two, what will be tonight as we're putting this podcast together between Dallas and Golden State. We're going to take a timeout on the other side of the timeout. Let's talk some PGA Championship as it is underway as we get set to close out this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. We're back in just a sec. All right, let's wrap it up today with a little uh, golf talk, shall we say. The PGA Championship being played this weekend, another major underway. And right now, as it stands, as we're putting this podcast together, Rory McIlroy leads after round one, shooting a five under 65. Justin Thomas sitting there in the mix at four under. Matt Kuchar at three under. Kevin Na at two under. Again, a lot of golf to be played, so we're going to see how that leaderboard plays out over the weekend. Obviously, the fact that Tiger Woods has teed things up in making his comeback after that horrific accident in trying to play competitively on on really what has been a medical marvel when it comes to what the doctors were able to do with his leg. He continues to be the focal point Uh, of much of the coverage of that PGA Tour. So we'll see, A, if he makes the cut. And then if he makes the cut from there, you kind of see how things are playing out. It's got to be rough when you're trying to still rehabilitate off of that injury and walk that course. One of the par fives, well over 600 yards, which is just unbelievable for a hacker like myself. Can't imagine what that walk has to be uh, in order to complete that par five. But nonetheless, Tiger Woods obviously will be a focal point of the weekend. Another focal point is that of Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson, who declined to play in the PGA Championship, though he was last year's winner, the oldest ever to win a major at the age of 50, is not participating this week because of this affiliation with the Live Golf Tour, which is an upstart golf tour being backed by Saudi Arabian money, which has got a lot of pushback from a lot of people in the sporting world and the PGA Tour. And with that, there's also a book that was released yesterday, an unauthorized biography, and some of the quotes that came from Phil in the midst of that biography again being released yesterday has struck a lot of people uh, 
hit, hit a raw nerve, I guess is the easiest way to say it. And so I, I have to imagine that the stress and mental preparation it takes to play a major coupled with all of the circus that is surrounding Phil Mickelson right now that he just decided, you know what, this this is not something I want to partake in. Phil's comments have also led to a number of his major sponsors to withdraw their sponsorship. So even from a business standpoint, his his empire, so to speak, is in a bit of a whirlwind. And so it's going to be interesting over the next couple of weeks as this upstart tour gets underway, whether A, it will, B, whether it will attract some of the players they had hoped because they were throwing tons of money out there, and C, if Phil jumps, if he goes to that tour, let's make it clear, that will be the end of Phil Mickelson on the PGA Tour. If Phil jumps and takes the money, it will be the end of his tenure on the PGA Tour. And talk about earlier in this episode how we're going to spend an entire podcast talking about NIL and the soap opera that is Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher and Deion Sanders right now. We could spend an entire episode talking about what that would mean for Phil Mickelson professionally moving forward and what his legacy would be as a golfer goes moving forward as well. But those are all storylines that I'm sure will be talked about extensively with the PGA Championship. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the 414 Sports Podcast. Thank you so much again for logging in and joining us. Don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. And again, Sunday we'll put out another podcast really focusing in on this NIL debate and also talking about the soap opera that's taking place between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher and the SEC. And again, we'll put that out on Sunday. Until then, take care of each other. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 